Amen. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 5 to 24. Luke chapter 21, verses 5 to 24, as we continue in the study of God's Word. The message is going to be the first part of a two-part message entitled, The Days Will Come. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once." Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your holy word and by your Holy Spirit. Plant it deep in our hearts. Bring forth a harvest of righteousness for the glory of our Christ. We pray that your Holy Spirit would make it plain and clear to us. Pray that you would empower me as the preacher. 
to preach in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. may be seated. Remember, Jesus is teaching day by day in the temple and in the city of Jerusalem, and this is the week of his death. So in between Sunday and Thursday, Jesus is day by day teaching in the, t- in the temple, and people are hanging on his every word, and the, the religious leaders are doing everything they can to try to entrap him so that he would be put to death. He speaks of the days that will come, and his disciples ask him, teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he speaks of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, and there's a distance that we see in the text between these things and that great day of his return. Now, these are all part of the last days, but there's a distance between the two. What's going to happen pretty immediately and what's going to happen one day. And we just sang the song, and patiently we wait that day. Patiently we wait that day. And Jesus' teaching is to encourage his disciples and strengthen his disciples to have patience and courage to wait that day. I want us to see five things in this text. The days will come when, number one, the temple will be demolished. Number two, when Jerusalem will be destroyed. Number three, when the earth will be devastated. Number four, when eyewitnesses will be dismayed. And number five, disciples will be delivered up. And there's going to be strength for us as his followers, just like the encouragement that was for his disciples then, that they would not be fooled, that they would not be frightened, and they would not be forlorn. Let's look first of all at verses 5 to 7. The days will come when the temple will be demolished. Verse 5 says, and when some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, the temple that they saw was absolutely magnificent. If you've ever been to Jerusalem today and seen the Dome of the Rock, the Dome of the Rock is small in comparison to the temple in that day. The Jewish historian Josephus, who lived… Josephus. Now, some of you country music fans, don't be thinking I said Bocephus. It's Josephus, the Jewish historian, who lived A.D. 37 to 100, and he 
came from a priestly family. He was a descendant of the Hasmoneans. He was well-educated, and he has been a reliable and prominent Jewish historian for us to understand what was happening politically and among the Jewish people. And in his book called The Antiquities of the Jews, he wrote a whole chapter on Herod and the temple. And he said this in his book 15, chapter 11, he said, and now Herod in the 18th year of his reign and after the acts already mentioned, undertook a very great work, that is to build of himself the temple of God and make it larger in compass and to raise it to a most magnificent altitude as esteeming it to be the most glorious of all his actions as it really was to bring it to perfection and that this would be sufficient for an everlasting memorial of him. Remember, the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC, and then it was rebuilt when the exiles came back after coming back from Babylon. Remember, it was rebuilt, but it was much smaller in size. It was not grand and magnificent. And when it was built, remember, the people celebrated and cried at the same time, those who had remembered the magnificence of the temple. And Josephus tells of how Herod spoke to the people and how he gave a great speech and told how he was going to raise it up and make it as big and glorious as it was before, even more glorious. So Josephus describes this temple that the disciples and everyone was seeing in Jerusalem. And he says, now the temple was built of stones that were white and strong. It had doors also at the entrance and lintels over them of the same height with the temple itself. They were adorned with embroidered veils with their flowers of purples and pillars interwoven over these. But under the crown work was spread out a golden vine with its branches hanging down from a great height, the largeness and fine workmanship of which was a surprising sight to the spectators to see what vast materials there were and with what great skill the workmanship was done. He also says that it was laid out, that Herod laid out larger sums of money upon them than had ever been done before till it seemed that no one else had so greatly adorned the temple as he had done. I just want to give you a picture of how magnificent this temple was. So when Jesus says that the things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down, this would have been shocking. It would have been shocking, but if you go to Jerusalem today, you can see that that's exactly what happened that the Temple Mount was leveled and everything was thrown down. It was completely destroyed. The days will come when the temple will be demolished, but the end is not yet. And that's Jesus' point. The end is not yet. Secondly, Jerusalem will be destroyed. Look at verses 20 to 24. Skip over. 
But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. And normally, if you're outside the city, you would run into the city for protection because of the walls of the city. And Jesus is saying, if those are people who are outside the city, don't run into the city because the city's going to be destroyed. Jesus says, alas for women who are pregnant in those days, who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. This is a repetition of something we see among the Jewish people. They broke the covenant, the prophets called them back to the covenant, and they refused to hear. And God brought judgment upon them time and time again. Jerusalem was destroyed. Judgment came upon the city, and Jesus is pronouncing that same judgment. And that judgment is a picture of a judgment that is coming much later. It's a picture of a greater judgment. Verse 24 says, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And this prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Romans came and took Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, burned it with fire, fulfilling exactly what Jesus had said. In fact, many liberal theologians look at statements like this and say this must have been written after 70 AD because they deny predictive prophecy. They deny the supernatural. But no, this was written before the destruction of the temple. Jesus was proclaiming what was going to happen. Jerusalem will be destroyed, but the end is not yet. Number three, the earth will be devastated. Look at verses 10 through 11a. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. The earth will be devastated with national conflicts, wars, conflict all over the place and natural catastrophes, earthquakes, various places, famines and pestilences. The earth will be devastated, but the end is not yet. Number four, eyewitnesses will be dismayed. Look at verse 11b. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Terrors and great signs from heaven. Have you seen all of the pictures recently from NASA's news telescope of the heavens and the galaxies? It's absolutely phenomenal. Well, there's coming a time when 
people are not going to be excited and amazed and happy when they see the heavens and the pictures and what's coming back. They're going to be terrified because there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But Jesus wants the disciples and us to know, but the end is still not yet. Eyewitnesses will be dismayed by cosmic and cataclysmic signs, but it's, it's still not yet. In Matthew chapter 24, Matthew records the Lord Jesus saying this in verse 36 and following, he says, but concerning that day, that great day, the return of the Lord Jesus, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Everybody's unaware. Verse 42, therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. You don't know. Verse 44, therefore you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's unknown. People are unaware. So the message is be ready. When you see all of these things happening, don't be dismayed, don't be terrified, be patient. It's not yet. Wait. You don't know when it's coming, but wait and endure and be patient until that day. So eyewitnesses will be dismayed. The earth will be devastated. Jerusalem will be destroyed. The temple will be demolished. But notice what he says in verse 12. But before all this, they will lay your hands, they they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds and not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. And by your endurance, you will gain your lives. See, disciples will be delivered up to the authorities, to synagogues and prisons and kings and governors. They'll be persecuted, hated, and even killed. Some will be put to death. But Jesus is saying, be encouraged, be strengthened. Don't be distracted, don't be dismayed. Trust the Lord, the end is not yet. So what do we do with this? Well, exactly what Jesus told the disciples is the message for us. First of all, 
Don't be fooled. Verses seven to eight, Jesus says, and they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, or literally in the Greek, it's ego eimi, which is the divine name, I am. And the time is at hand. And what he means is many are going to come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah. The time is now. The time is at hand. And he's saying, don't be led astray. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. I've come. I'm coming to lay my life down for sinners. I will be crucified raised again on the third day, and I will ascend to the right hand of the majesty on high. I'm the sovereign one. I'm the Lord. Don't be deceived by false messiahs. Don't listen. Don't be deceived by prophecy charts when they say this is exactly how it's going to happen. Don't be deceived. Secondly, don't be frightened. Look at verse 9, and when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. That's what he's trying to get the disciples to understand. You're going to see all of these things. This must take place, but the end will not be at once, so don't be frightened. Don't be terrified. Trust the Lord. He's sovereign over us. All of his ways are right. Look to him and don't be frightened. Number three, don't be forlorn. To be forlorn means to be dreary, miserable, lonely, and sad, to have a sense of hopelessness and despair. Look at verses 12 and following. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you and delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. Now, they, they, they might get a little worried at that point, a little anxious, because this is what's going to happen, he says. And he says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Don't be forlorn. Don't worry about being forsaken. Don't be anxious about being abandoned. Don't think that you will be helpless or hopeless. Don't despair when this happens. Look at the encouragement. First of all, this first encouragement is you will bear witness. Verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. How about that? This is what's going to happen, but this is going to be your opportunity to bear witness, to tell of the glory of Christ, to tell of the excellencies of Christ, to tell the good news of the kingdom of God that has come in Jesus Christ. You will bear witness. But secondly, you will be helped. Look at verses 14 and 15. Settle it therefore in your minds. Do not meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom 
which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Remember the stoning of Stephen? I mean, the brother had a mouth and wisdom that they couldn't even fathom. And the Lord gave him those words. The Lord gave him what he was to say. He would give Paul what to say before the emperor. He would give all of his disciples exactly what to say at the right time so they were not to be anxious because they would be helped by the Lord Jesus. The third encouragement is you will be preserved. Look at verses 18 and 19. But not a hair of your head will perish. And by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Not a hair of your head will perish, and by your endurance you will gain your lives. In the Heidelberg Confession, it says that he watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. That's what we sang about. He's sovereign over us. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will that we will be preserved. His disciples will be preserved and they can take great courage in that. And notice he says, you, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. By your endurance, you will endure and you will gain your lives by your endurance. You'll be preserved, you'll be helped, you'll bear witness But really the overall message is you will not be alone. Verse 15, Jesus says, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom. He says, I myself. It's emphatic. I myself will give you a mouth and wisdom. I myself will be with you. Remember the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He gives a mission and he says, I'm going to be with you. You will bear witness, you will be helped, you will be preserved, and you will not be alone. So don't worry, don't be anxious, don't despair, is what Jesus is saying. And as we look around at world events and and see the persecution of the church all around the world, we could get really tempted right now to be frightened and to despair, and we should hear the words of the Lord Jesus and say, this must take place, but the end is not yet. Be patient. Be patient. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Be emboldened. Live with confidence, a sense of purpose. Take risks for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. John Piper preaches a message on verse 16, just one verse, that says, you will be delivered up 
even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. And he said, did you notice? It just says some of you. It doesn't say all of you. So take risks for the sake of the kingdom. It reminded me of when I was a teenager, and that was in the mind of a teenage boy, we would build big ramps, BMX ramps, and my mom said, you be careful, don't do that, or you might get hurt, and we thought, but we might not. That's not the risk that Jesus is talking about. He's saying, take risks for the kingdom of God. Some of you will be killed, but not all of you. The kingdom message must reach to the end of the earth. And notice in verse 24, it says, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There's coming a time when everything is fulfilled. All of those from among the nations have been brought in. And the Lord Jesus comes. And there's a, an awakening among the Jewish people where they turn to the Lord Jesus for salvation and the end comes. But until that time, don't be fooled and don't be frightened and don't be forlorn. You will bear witness, you will be helped, you will be preserved, and you will not be alone. Let me close with the words from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and following. What should we say to these things? Well, what things? Well, he's just said in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what then can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. There is no need to be anxious or worried or despairing. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And Paul says, what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the answer is emphatically nothing. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can they do to you? The worst thing they could do is kill you. But to live as Christ and to die is gain. Don't be anxious. Don't despair. Be encouraged. Be emboldened. Wait patiently for that day. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us with the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Lord, for the believers in this room, those, these words and the words from the Apostle Paul serve as great encouragement, strengthening. Thank you for the assurance that comes through your word. We thank you for the the great hope that we have, the confidence that we have, the security that we have through the gospel. Lord, there are others in this room who might not have that kind of hope and security. And I pray that, that by the power of your Holy Spirit working through the gospel, that you would make the person and work of Jesus Christ glorious and amazing to those who have never seen him as amazing before. And as they see him high and lifted up and good and loving and sacrificial and conquering, that they would see their sins as wretched. That as they see their sins as wretched, they would see him as the all-sufficient savior to reconcile them to a holy God. So God, would you grant repentance that leads to life? Would you grant faith to trust on the Lord Jesus for salvation and the hope and the security that comes to the gospel? Lord, would you do that which only you can do by your power? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.